Hear now the word of the Lord as best as I can read it. Luckily, it is short. It comes from the good news according to John. Hear now the words of Jesus. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Is there any darkness in your life? Is there any place that you are experiencing something that seems like you're walking in the night? Well, the good news of today's message is that Christ has come to shine, dark, shine light into your darkness. He said, I am the light of the world, and whoever comes into me will have the light of life. What are some things that that light does for us? You know, a light illumines for us, doesn't it? It, it, it brings about something that, that enables us to see even... even the smallest glimmer of light in a darkened room or in a starless night, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? We have that little bit of light. We, we can see something that will, that will move us forward. It's interesting that the very first thing that God created, this spirit that hovered across the dark waters, was light. It says, if God was turning on a light to illumine all that he was creating... God, in the very beginning, made light, and by light we can see. Now, the background for this text is, is pretty interesting. It's Jesus speaking there in the court of the women in the temple. It's the place where many, many folks came to, to give their offerings to God, so it's highly trafficked. And at this time of year, we know earlier or later on in the, in the, the chapter, it's during the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's like having Mardi Gras. Everybody was coming out to be a part of that. And Jesus, in the midst of being there in the temple with all those folks around there, is saying, I am the light of the world. And, and it was pretty poignant because during that feast, the Jewish nation set up these huge torches higher than the walls of the temple. And at the top of these torches were oil vats that held 65 gallons of oil. And the wicks were made of the old undergarments of the priests. Now, we hope they clean those things before they put them in there. You know what I mean? But they, they, those wicks were lit right at sundown, and they exploded in light. And we're told by scholars that all of the city was illumined by these big four torches that shone there in the temple. And in a time when there wasn't electric lights or there's street lights, it was amazing for those people to see all of Jerusalem illumined by these torches, brought them light. It enabled them to see. We believe that Jesus is there teaching in the temple. And right as they were lighting those torches in a dramatic moment, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the one that enables you to truly see. Because that's what light does, doesn't it? It enables us to see. When Uncle Sam had my wife and I stationed in Southern California, to the Ontario First United Methodist Church. 
And in that church, we were part of a Sunday school class. It was a very eclectic group. And it was taught by Dr. Dan Berenstein. Now, Dr. Berenstein was a very wise teacher, and, and he shared so many things that impacted this young Air Force officer at the time when I was, was living out there. And when Dr. Dan died, his wife sent out a letter to all of his friends and had lots of his favorite sayings in them. And one of them was this, this saying from C.S. Lewis. He, Dr. Berenstein, quoting Lewis, said this, I believe in Christianity like I believe the sun is risen, not just because I see it, because by it I see everything else. I believe in Jesus Christ, not just because he's risen and I can see it, but by his light I can see everything else as it truly is. You see, as we view things in the light of Christ, we can see what reality is truly all about. Instead of using the dim lights of our own desires, our own fears, or societal norms, when we view things in the light of Christ Jesus, things are different. We see every human being then, not as just someone walking around in skin or somebody that we can talk to or take advantage of. No, we see every human being as being a person of infinite worth. These are souls that are walking around, experiencing humanity. And every person, every person is of worth. We see our possessions and our money not as something to hoard and to be miserly about or to spend for ourselves. No, we see what we have been given by God as gifts to be stewards over, to use, to bless the lives of other people. We see this beautiful world not as something just for our, our own selfish need and, and to take advantage of. No, this world is a gift given to us by God, created beautifully by our Heavenly Father. And we even see our enemies in the light of Jesus' love as somebody to be prayed for and to learn to love as hard as that may be. You see, when we're illumined by this one who says, I am the light of the world, our vision changes. We get a new perspective on things, including ourselves. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, makes this claim about all y'all. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Therefore, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good work and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus makes the same claim about you that he makes about himself. Talk about shining the light into the darkness of low self-esteem. Jesus is saying, that you are the light. And what I say about myself, because you're my follower, I say it about you. And because we have this light, then we are to go out into the world to let our light shine so that others who are walking in darkness might know the light of Jesus. And what Vern and his team are doing are going to help us be more comfortable in letting our light shine. I look forward to 
hearing him and his group unleash themselves to enable us to be the light of Christ in the world as a church. And we're doing already some great things. Don't get me wrong. But he's going to expand it and increase, and increase it with y'all's help. The light shines to enable us to see. But also, light reveals darkness, right? It reveals things. In the third chapter of John's gospel, we have this famous scene where Jesus is there encountering Nicodemus. And we all know that story because probably the most famous verse from the Bible comes from it. You all know it, John 3.16. I bet you all have saying it right now in the back of your heads. But right after he gives that great proclamation that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. A few verses later, Jesus says this. He says, those who are evil prefer the darkness Because their deeds are evil and they do not want to come into the light. Why? Because their deeds will be exposed to the light. And that's what light does, doesn't it? It shines into dark places. It it enables people to be found out, right? And when we think about that, we think about the folks that are in the underworld, right? You know, here come the police to expose those people of the bad things they're doing. Or, Or there's that dark web out there, and who knows what's in that. But there are people, you see, good folks like you and me. Well, we have some things that would rather be hidden, right? We have some dark things in our life. And as C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, that as we grow in our relationship to Christ, as we grow closer to the light, we'll have things in our lives that are revealed by the light of his love so that they can be transformed. And he he talks about it this way. He said, you know, uh, sometimes I treat people with snubs and sneers. But he said, you know, that happens when I'm caught off my guard. Someone approaches me and I, and I treat them brusquely or, or I, I snap at them or, or I'm impatient with them. And I can give the excuse, Lewis says, that, well, that, you know, they caught me off guard, caught me at a bad moment. But what Lewis says is this, that that moment when someone appro- approaches us and catches us off our guard, that reveals something within us. He said this, it's like if you go down into the cellar and you cut on the lights and all the rats start to scatter or down in South Alabama, all the cockroaches start to run around. Now, I don't know, if, I haven't seen any around here, but down there, yeah, you turn on the light, there, the, there go the roaches. He said this, he said, the light didn't cause the rats to be there. No, the rats were there all along. The light just revealed that they were there. And these inopportune moments, these moments when we're caught off guard, said, Lewis said, this isn't making me a selfish man. It reveals the selfishness that's within me. Wow. There's within everybody still something that needs to have the light shine up, shone upon it. There, we, we all have some attitudes that we need to change. All, there is some selfishness that is there. There is some impatience that needs to be burned away. There are some unloving attitudes or actions that we need to have changed. And the good news is Christ says, I've come to shine my light onto those places so that I can rid you of them and make you more in line with my perfect will for your life. David in Psalm 19 says this, Lord, 
Show me my hidden faults. Show me my secret selfish sins so that I may be faultless and guiltless in your sight. That's a good prayer. Lord, show me my secret sins so that I might be guiltless and faultless in your sight. In other words, we should pray, Jesus, shine your light in any dark place in my life so that I might bear more of your light into the world. It's wonderful to think about that. Every person needs to have the light of Christ examining them so that we can experience the blessings that Jesus wants to give to us to bless the world. And the way this happens is that, well, Jesus illumines our way. Jesus guides our way like a light shining in the darkness. The Feast of the Tabernacles celebrated the fact that the people of Israel were being led and guided by the light that of God's presence in their midst in the wilderness. You all might remember the fact that when, when uh, the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, what guided them? This pillar of fire, right? Guided them there in the wilderness. And the Feast of Tabernacles and those big torches there were reminding them of that fact that that light was there to guide them. Now, it guided them a day at a time. If the fire got up and moved, so did they. If it sat down, they sat down. And that's the way it is with the light of God. The thing about it, us in our modern time, we like the whole way lit, right? We want to know everything about what's going on. We want to know way into the future. We want that light to shine so that we know exactly where we're going to end up and every bit of the way is lit up. That's not the way God works. That's not the way life really is. We do not know what the next moment can hold. But we know that God will give us enough light to take that next step in the direction in which he is leading us. Back in the ancient days, the people of Israel and others used these little oil lamps to guide their way. You, you all might remember if you uh, sang the song in Sunday School Vacation Bible, so give me oil for my lamp, keep me burning, burning. You, all, you, all, you, know, you know, if you remember Happy Days, you can remember that song. Those of you old enough to remember that. Some of you young folks out there may not remember that song. There's all sorts of verses that go with that. Someone told me some they sang uh, after the early service. But they, they had these little oil lamps, and they burned, you know, not very brightly. And they would tie them to their feet. And they would have these lamps that would guide their steps. You might remember from Psalm 119. Thy word is a what? A lamp unto my feet. A light unto my path. That's what that meant. And it only gave them enough illumination to take the very next step. Well, that's what the light of Jesus gives us. Just enough light to take the very next step. Next step. Now, we have a direction towards which we're going. The people of Israel had a place to which they were heading, the, the, the promised land. And so do we have this great promise of a land beyond this one. But we also know that in our lives and as a church, God has a direction for us in which to go. But all he's promised us is enough light to take the next step on the journey. So, 
It takes faith, doesn't it? That the light of Christ is leading us one step at a time to the place towards which he is leading us, that place of promise, that place of hope. Because that's what light can do in the darkness. It can give you hope. Even the smallest glimmer can change your mind and change your attitude and change the way you view things. Because light is a perfect metaphor for Jesus. It can't be changed. You know, even though it might be reflected, it's still light. Even though it might be moonlight or sunlight, it is still radiating light. And no matter how small the light, how deep the darkness, light cannot be put out by the dark. Jesus talks about this, or John talks about this in the very first part of the gospel. said, the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome light. Beautiful lights up here, by the way. Diane Rose and Summer Hayes. You see the decorations back there. They're part of the worship team that's doing things like this to remind us of the sermon and what's going on each week. The reminders, though, if we turned out all the lights in here and, we were, and you can't see through that beautiful window up there, it's completely dark, you could see the light. Because Jesus said, I've come into the world in the darkness has not overcome it. No matter how deep the darkness, the light still shines. And it gives hope. If you're ever out at Yellowstone, uh, you might want to take a trip north after. I mean, it's hard to see everything at Yellowstone even in a month. But you might want to go a little north and go uh, see the Lewis and Clark caverns that are there. They're they're large caverns that uh, happen to be in in that part of the world. They're larger than Carlsbad caverns. They're they're, they're a beautiful place to explore. And if you've been there or on any cave tour, what are they going to do when you get down into the deepest part of the cave? Turn out the lights. That's exactly right. They're going to turn out the lights to help you see how dark it is in a cave. And it is dark. You literally cannot see the hand in front of your face. I mean, it's, it is dark. And at that particular cave, they'll tell the story about back in the 30s when the Civilian Conservation Corps was there working, a man got lost in, a, in that cave. He fell through a hole and fell down into it and couldn't get out. And they searched and searched and searched for him for several days. And finally someone discovered the hole he had fallen through. And they heard him shouting. And and they came and got him and rescued him. And after they got him cleaned up and got him some water and and fed him a little bit, they said, well, how did you survive down there? What, What gave you any hope? He said, well, there was a little pinprick of light that was shining down through a hole up there. And I focused in on that light in the darkness, and it gave me hope. He focused in on that little bit of light, that, just that little glimmer, and it gave him hope. That's the way it is with light, you see. Wherever it is, it can give us hope in the midst of our darkness. And in fact, when we hear about what light is and compared to darkness, it, it, it just changes things because it enables us to see hope even in our darkest moments. Because the definition of dark is the absence of light. The definition of Sheol, the place of the dead, according to Job 10, is a place absent of light. So when we hear about the divine comedy uh, by Dante, and he says, 
abandon all hope ye who enter here, talking about Hades and hell. He's talking about a place absent of God and absent of light. And therefore, absence of hope. But we who have the light of Christ in our lives, we have hope. No matter if you're in a dark place of addiction or despair or hopelessness, if you're in a, a dark place of being in, in a, uh, where you can't overcome some sinful habit, if you're in a place where you're worried about the future, the light of Christ shines even the smallest way to give us hope. Now, there may be a young person in here. There are a few. And you may feel like you're alone and in despair because, you know, someone's bullying you on, online. And it's a lonely and dark place to be. Well, the light of Christ can come and shine in your life to give you hope even in that dark place. There's a college student or two that may be watching online or here sitting here. Or there's a high school student that is wondering, I've got to get all these perfect grades. I've got to do all uh, this stuff just right. I've got to be a great athlete. I've got to get these perfect scores. And... You may not achieve all that you had hoped to achieve. You may think the future isn't what you thought it could be. And it feels like you're in a dark place because you have so much pressure on yourself. Let the light of Christ come and show you that you're a valuable, wonderful, worthwhile person, even if you didn't get straight A's or score that 30-something on the ACT. There are some people who are worried about all that's going on in this world. The world seems like a dark place right now. There is still lingering effects of the pandemic. There is all this economic turmoil as we're seeing gas prices at four something a gallon. My goodness, that high. There is global warming. There's a fact that the Atlanta Braves didn't sign Freddie Freeman. <laughs> Just make sure you're awake on that. There, there is this war that's going on. And concerns about what that means for our future. And the world seems like a dark place with all the divisiveness that's going on in our country like never before. The light of Christ comes to shine into our lives. To let us know even in spite of all that, there's hope. And there's some within the sound of my voice that are wondering about, has life passed me by? As I approach this mystery called death, what's beyond this life? And there's this fear there that may be lingering. And you don't have to be an old person to be afraid of the great mystery beyond this life. Let the light of Christ come. And you can hear the words that will be uttered a few weeks from now on Easter. I am the resurrection. I am the life. On the other side is not darkness, but light. And that should give us hope. Infinite hope. You know, if you're ever in Montgomery, Alabama, you need to take some time to get off the beaten path a little bit and go down the Watumpka Highway and go to the Oakwood Cemetery. Which, if you go there, you can get a view of the Alabama River, and you go into that stately old cemetery, and you'll see 
the oak trees with moss hanging down them. You'll see some of the graves of Alabama's most prominent citizens of the past. You'll see a section set aside for the Confederate war dead. And you can also see a grave that says, we told Jimmy not to go swimming. But in the annex of that stately cemetery, there is the grave, the tomb of Hank Williams Sr. Now, Hank grew up during the Depression. He was born in Butler County, Alabama. He was raised in Georgiana, which as you go south on Interstate 65, you'll see a sign there in Georgiana that says, Home of the Hank Williams Museum. And you ought to stop there after you go to Priesters Pecans. Uh, that's a different story. But Hank, as I said, grew up in a hard time during the Depression. His daddy was disabled and didn't live in the home, so he was basically fatherless for most of his life. His mother picked up odd jobs, and she sewed, and she cooked, and she ran a boarding house, and, and she did what she could to make do for her, for her children. But she saw a little bit of a talent in Hank, and she fed a fella a name Rufus Tintop Payne, an African-American fella, to teach Hank, or Hiram, as his given name was, how to play the guitar. Well, Hank obviously learned to play the guitar. He never, though, learned to read music. And when his mama and he and his sister moved up to Montgomery for her to open a boarding house, Hank began to take his guitar and go on the streets around Court Square and began to sing, and he drew a big crowd, and he became so popular that WSFA radio began to put him on the air, and he was so popular there that the people call in, hey, let the kid play. Let the kid play. Well, Hank figured I could make a living doing this, so he gathered together some other Alabama hillbillies or rednecks, and they formed a group called the Drifting Cowboys, and they toured all over South Alabama and Northwest Florida singing and performing in little uh, places like Gosha and Elba and my wife's hometown of Glenwood. In fact, my father-in-law remembers Hank performing there, and after he performed, he was arrested and put in that little tiny jail for public intoxication. I've seen that worn-out jail cell where Hank spent the night because Hank battled demons all of his life. He was born with spina bifida, which caused extreme pain in his back, and it was worsened after a hunting accident. So he turned to alcohol to numb that pain, to numb the pain of a hard childhood, and then later on to painkillers. Well, Hank became famous. You all know that. He wrote songs like Kalijah, and I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry, and Hey, Hey, Good Looking. I used to sing that one to my wife as we had run. So he made it on the Grand Old Opry. And Hank traveled all over. But he battled demons, you see. And at the age of 29, far too young, Hank succumbed to those demons and he died. Now, before we judge Hank, we've got to realize that Many Civil War veterans who came back from that conflict wounded were what was called dope sick. 
They were hooked on narcotic pain medicine that affected them all the days of their lives. And we're seeing that again today in the opioid crisis where someone goes into surgery, takes some opioids, and they're hooked for the rest of their life. We judge such people at our peril. Also, Hank grew up in a time where there was no, not many ways to treat addiction. AA really wasn't known in the rural deep south. So we can't not judge his, his demons too harshly. For Hank had a faith, a faith that he wrote about in song. And his most famous song was inspired one night when his mama was driving him from the west on the Selma Highway. And as they were getting near Montgomery, she saw the lights of Danley Field. And she said, wake up, Hiram. Again, that's his given name. I see the light. And of course, Hank woke up and he wrote that song that expresses his faith. Even a deep and abiding faith in the midst of his darkness, the smallest glimmer of light brings hope. And we've got to realize what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 10, all who claim the light, who grasp hold even of a small sliver of that light, All who call on the name of the Lord, Paul says, shall be saved. So Hank wrote a song that I bet you know the chorus to. I think the words are going to be on the screen. Are they on the screen? Technology work. You all know this song. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. What? Praise the Lord, I saw the light. May you see the light. Even if it's just a small glimmer, may it guide you. May it illumine you. And may it give you hope in whatever dark place you're in right now. Claim it for yourself, because Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and no darkness will ever overcome it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.